anybody wants to recruit a saxophone player, that would be awesome too. That would be sweet. I love us some brass in there. That's awesome. It's good to see everybody this morning. How many know that God is always at work? Amen? All the time. I mean, we can do that whole thing. But God is always at work. And I want to encourage you this morning with some things that God has been at work in the Falcone family. Some things that God has been speaking to us and our marriage as a family, as a couple. And nothing profound or out of the ordinary. Just some foundational things that God has been convicting us about and walking us through with some things. Um, as Nikki's been reading through some things and we've been talking and praying. So I'm going to have my lovely wife come up for a moment and kind of share a little bit to kick this thing off. And then I'm going to share a little story to summarize things and kind of get us in a certain direction. So. Hi. Hello. I think it's so funny because I was actually going to say, how many of you have a car? Really? <laughs> wow. See? Gotta love it. Uh, we should be married, yes. Sometimes, you know, God has you in seasons where it's just really dry. You're like, where are you, God? And then sometimes you're in seasons where you're like, oh, my gosh, God's everywhere I turn, everywhere I turn. And then sometimes God's in a season of cleaning your clock. Guess where I am? So it's really exciting because I've been reading some books by Jen Hatmaker. She's really comical and sarcastic and just tells it like it is, and I love that. Um A lot of the books that I've been reading from her are talking about just the basics on Isaiah 58 ministry and just where God's heart is, is always with the poor. And that's something that's never really on my radar. Jen Jen Jordan then gets up, was it early December, when you guys shared, we had different people come up here and share different ministries uh, that are kind of connected to Gateway, people, just opportunity to serve. And so when she came up, I felt that nudge from the Holy Spirit to kind of get involved with the ministry of Forest Park (coughs) Ministries, which a lot of people here know about. It's kind of like a food bank for the city. Anyway, so all that to say, um, me and the girls have started doing that. And it's not, oh, Nikki serving the poor and helping the poor. It's God saying, no, I need you in there because i got to teach you some things and work on your heart. And so I'm really excited about it because he's revealing so many things. And I've only gone a few times. Um, one of the needs that Jen mentioned that I felt like the Lord wanted me to re-mention this morning is um, the area of clothes uh, that this ministry does. Some people might not have heard this um, announcement before. But one of the things they do is they're not a clothes collecting place like for people to come shop, but they do take donations of clothes. And then uh, the people there will fold them nicely and they'll pick out the fuddy-duddies that won't sell at Goodwill, and they'll pack all the ones that will sell, and then we get $4 vouchers for every little bag of clothes um, that we can then give to people that come in for food. So if there's something that they need at Goodwill, they can go shop. So it's like money for them. I'm all about the practical. So when I'm getting worked on from God, I'm like, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? And so just give me practical things. And so when he started um, another area of the book, Uh, One of her books is about just decluttering your lives and getting rid of the excess so God can move in and take over, um, both spiritually and physically. 
And so, um, anyway, all that to say, I felt like God put on my heart to just kind of put another invitation out there to you guys, um, just to clean your closets and drawers out. And I know that might not be a big deal to you, and maybe you just did it and donated already, so this doesn't apply to you, but I'm really asking Gateway to participate with this for the month of February. Um, I feel like the Lord wants us to do kind of a fun challenge monthly. I talked to CJ about it for this whole year um, of decluttering our lives as a gateway and um, just in a practical way. So this month is clothes. Hold off on the baby clothes because we're going to do baby, I think, next month. So um, if you have clothes, excess clothes, maybe the clothes that you think you might fit into one day or it was important to you 20 years ago because it meant blah, 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 um, just please go through. I mean, there are there's so much need out there. It's overwhelming just in our city alone. And if this is just this much of something practically that we can do together to bless our city and our community and provide for people, then I, I'm all I'm excited about it. Um, I had one lady come in a couple weeks ago, and she's like, can you just see if y'all have a purse back there? And I looked down, and she had, like, one of those zipper baby bottles bags for, like, her purse. And I went back there, and there wasn't a purse. Now, I'm not saying I need 100 purses, ladies. I need clothes. But I'm just saying there is a need out there. And um, so we were able to give her a voucher for Goodwill for her to go shop for a purse, which was great. Um, but anyway, so I think next month we're going to do all things baby. So that's not just baby clothes and baby items, but, like, things that are baby, you know, like, you know baby stuff. Um, so anyway, um, <clears throat> but we're going to do this, I think, for two weeks for this month. So this week and next week, excuse me, go to your closets. <clears throat> Sorry. Go to your closets, clean them out, bring them to the church. I'll let him tell you where to put it because I have no idea where he's going to put all this stuff. And then we will take it over. Um, so this week, next week, start working on this. And then the next two weeks, start bringing it to Gateway. And um, Anyway, I'm just really excited because this is something small that we can do together. Um, I think that's it. Good. Thank you. All right. <clears throat> yeah, if you do want to bring something over the next couple of weeks, just bring it in the hall, kind of where we have the food pantry thing, and I'll be making multiple trips over. We're not going to stack them all in a closet, you know, and have it all fall on us and stuff, but just gradually take it over. So, But my heart this morning was, we've been praying about that, just kind of looking at, this aspect of the poor. And coming out a couple weeks ago, many of you don't know, we had a Mistecan conference in here. The Mistecans are an indigenous people group that are in Montgomery now. They're native to southwestern Mexico. And we had a conference in here, a national conference, about how to reach them in this community with their dialect and their needs and just being poor and that sort of thing. And many of the Gateway folks were here. As I've been thinking about that, and we had a couple breakout sessions, and the Lord revealing some things in those, you know, beyond just having physical needs of the poor, which is absolutely important. My heart has also been thinking about just those that are poor in spirit, just lacking Jesus, not having Christ and having the mindset of who that is and how to reach out to them. And we had a breakout session over there during the conference where we had a time of um, learning about storytelling, which we may have a conference here, um, a little seminar in the next few weeks. We're not sure you haven't talked to the guys, uh, Montgomery Baptist Association, about um, the importance of storytelling when you reach indigenous people groups or those of different languages. <clears throat> excuse me, to uh, try to read them with the gospel. And a very foundational story was told. And after being told and thinking about it, we were talking about it, I just went back 
It's, been, it's really been, some of have been on my heart thinking about the foundation of it and how simple it is, but just very convicting and thinking about the ramifications and what the implications were, what Jesus was trying to communicate through this very familiar story. So I want to share the story briefly and then kind of unpackage it a little bit with the remaining time we have and to just challenge us. Coming out of what Greg said last week, and that's what I loved about his message about, we start with God. Amen? Who he is, his holiness, his power, his supremacy, his majesty, just all that he is in his essence. And understanding that and trying to, we can't fully, but trying to see that, who he is, and embrace that. And then in turn, seeing how big he is, and and by doing that, we see how what? Small we are. (laughs) And truly how insignificant we are without him. And then how we can look at others and perceive others in that same way as being equals in that and not putting ourselves above others and so forth. And so contemplating on that and meditating on that took me back to this very foundational story that I want to share with you and then kind of unwrap it a bit to just encourage us this morning and challenge us with some foundational truths of how we display the glory of God to this world and what we've been called to. Well, Jesus was in a crowd like he does many times with his apostles. It was a large crowd. And in in the crowd, there was an attorney. There was a lawyer. Not speaking against anybody here. The road of X are gone, so we don't fit. But... There was a lawyer, and the lawyer looked at Jesus among this large crowd, and he said, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Pretty important question. And Jesus looked at him as he knew the attorney, the lawyer, was trying to test him. And Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? What does it read to you? You tell me. And the lawyer very quickly, without skipping a beat, said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus looked at him and said, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Well, the lawyer wanted to justify himself. And so without letting it go, he asked another question. He said, Jesus, who is my neighbor? And Jesus said, let me tell you a story. One day there was a man coming down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And as he was walking along the path, he fell among some robbers. These robbers stripped him of everything he had. They beat him to a pulp. They left him there on the ground, half dead, in the street, and went away. Coming down that same road, by chance, was a priest. And as he came upon the man, he looked at him, and he passed by the other side. On that same road later, a Levite saw the man in the road, came upon him, saw him, and went around and passed on by as well. But a Samaritan came by, Jesus said. And when the Samaritan saw this man in that state, he had compassion for him. And the Samaritan looked, and he went down, and he bandaged up his wounds. He poured oil and wine on those places. He cared for him. He ministered to him. He helped him at that moment. He lifted him up. He put him on his beast. And he took him to an inn. He took care of him there. And the next day, the Samaritan came to the innkeeper. He pulled out two denarii, handed it to the innkeeper. And he said, I want you to take care of him. And if you spend more money on him while I'm gone, when I return... Whatever you spend, I'm going to repay you that amount. So Jesus looked at the lawyer and said, So, based on what you just heard in those three individuals, 
the priest and the Levite and the Samaritan, which one of those three proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell upon robbers? And the lawyer quickly said, well, of course, the one who showed mercy to the man. So Jesus said, well, then go and do likewise. Go to Luke chapter 10. This is a story we've heard our whole lives. Childlike, seems so simple, which it is, and that's the beauty of it. And it is very convicting (laughs) and speaks so much to who God is and what he has called us to. But as I've really just been really meditating on this and the characters in this precious story that Jesus told for us, this is everyday life. If you really think about this story, it's every day what we've been called to. The circumstances that we are in and the people that are around us. And just to start off in verse 25, when the lawyer said, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, granted, he's putting Jesus to the test. Jesus knew. He's been tested before. But this is a pretty significant question, isn't it? How do I enter the kingdom of God? How do I live for eternity, the lawyer is saying. And Jesus puts it back on him because Jesus knows this man's learned. He's intelligent. He knows the law. And he wants him to confess it back. And he does rightly. But here's the beauty of it, what Jesus said. You answered correctly. But instead of Jesus just saying, know this, good answer, what did he emphasize? Do this and you will live. That's a little different. And then the lawyer answers or he asks another question and says, who is my neighbor? Have you ever thought about why he asked that? I mean, I haven't thought about it much, but after reading some things in commentary, it's interesting. Obviously being the improper question. Because what the attorney was trying to do is to exclude responsibility over another group of folks to be non-neighbors. You tell me who my neighbor is so that I will then know what? Who I don't have to help. Put them in my categories for me. That's what the attorney was asking. Well, then who is my neighbor? Tell me who I can help and who I'm not supposed to, if that, if that is the case. But the proper question for him and for all of us and where I am and just in, in thinking everyday life and for all of us to be challenged with, the proper question would have been, how can I be a loving neighbor? And obviously Jesus gives us a perfect example of what that is. A simple man going down a road from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's about an 18-mile stretch, and as many of you know from studying and all, this stretch was very hilly and rocky. It was like a descending-type road. So there's an opportunity for individuals that have no regard for life or value of humanity to hide out as what? If it was an example of the sheep, it would be like a what? A wolf, a predator, somebody hiding out to come and do evil upon someone else with no regard for life. And just thinking about that, guys, who is that to us on the everyday? That's the enemy. That's his ploy. That's why when I see this and I saw this story again, this is life for us to see. The enemy comes to what? Kill, steal, destroy. He's subtle. He's a predator. He's a wolf. He's walking around the earth, as it says in 2 Peter, seeking someone to devour. That's what he does. And this man that Jesus doesn't describe, an everyday guy, a Jewish man walking along this road, succumbs to this evil of these individuals hiding out with physical pain that has given him close to death. And then we see an example of a couple folks coming by. 
And it's interesting. Think about the audience Jesus is talking to and his sovereignty and his providence of how to describe this. He's amongst primarily what group of folks? Jews, correct? So when he describes a priest and a Levite coming down, in that community of people, are they well respected? Uh-huh. They're the elite, the upper class, those that have status or have been, they work in the temple, they're over the sacrificial ritual, they're religious, pious people. So he uses that as a perfect example to, in this to say, there's a difference here. And for us, it's pretty obvious that the priest and Levite represent for us those, again, of, of a religious piety, maybe a self-righteousness, those that have knowledge. These gentlemen knew the truth. They knew God's word. They knew the Holy Scriptures. They knew who God is, that in Psalms 103 and 105 where it says that God is compassionate and slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. and being more. These men knew these things. They knew what was expected of them, but... As we see how this plays out, there's certain investors go, but come on, CJ, think about it. They're walking by this man, half dead. They're still on the same road. I'm sure there's a little bit of ounce of what? Fear? Wouldn't you be a little fearful thinking if the guys weren't still around? They could still be hiding out. The guys could have been thinking, hey, if I walk by, maybe if they pounce on me, I'm going to lose what? Some of my own stuff. I could be beaten. I could be hurt. But again, just the mindset that they didn't even consider the need of this man. They had to protect what they had. And then we see for all of us the beauty of the Samaritan. Now, right out of the gate, for many of us, we know the Samaritan and Jews, how was their relationship? Not very good. Not good at all. It's awful. So much so that one looked upon the other as almost being like an animal. The Jews looked upon the Samaritans in that way. It was an awful relationship. Such prejudice, such hatefulness, evil, anger, all of that. For centuries, it's been this way. So for Jesus to use the Samaritan man as a part of this story is so important for us. And obviously for that audience and for this lawyer, obviously being a Jew. So let's look here. The Samaritan is traveling along. And what I love about it, even emphasizes in 33, that the Samaritan was on a what? A journey. Therefore, the man had what? A schedule. (laughs) He had a task. He had a goal. He had a place he had to be. The man had something to do or a place to get to. Guys, that is even significant as the simplicity of how we see this story for us. That this man on a journey came upon this guy and looked upon him and had compassion for this man and took the time at that moment to pause and to express mercy to him. As an enemy of their culture and society. I mean, we don't know that Jesus doesn't elaborate on the mindset of the Samaritan, but just the bottom line is they did not like each other, or at least most Samaritans realized how Jews felt about them. So looking upon this man with compassion was an act of a miracle in the eyes of these people. And let me see, let's see the importance of this heart and compassion and the foundation for us. Go to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. These are scriptures we don't like to read. I'm just going to put it out there. And guys, the reason this is so important, what God has been working on my heart, my family's heart, and Nikki, and just and working with this mistaken group and seeing God's heart, and it all comes out of what Greg talked about last week, is when we see God rightly and we love him rightly and we experience who he is and his grace and his power and his mercy 
It should have such an effect on us that the outflow of that are these verses. Do you all see that? There is a cause and effect. When God comes in and does a miraculous work in us and transforms our heart, this story should be the outcome for us. This story should be a lifestyle for us. This story should be our kingdom vision and our view of how we live our lives and how we see people. But because of our flesh, because of that battle that is still there within us, that will be there till Jesus returns. And it's okay because we have the spirit within us to overcome that. But that's the importance of these verses and the simplicity and the power of the everyday of seeing life this way and how we approach people. Because we're all here. Every one of us have people in these verses that are part of our lives that we struggle with, that we would maybe not call our enemy, but we want nothing to do with, or they're on the fringes and on the margins that we don't see or don't want to be around for various reasons. And God is saying, I want you to see them differently. Luke 6, verse 27. What color in the Bible is this in most people's? Okay, let's remember that one. Jesus is saying this. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Give that one the spiritual five-second count. Let it sink. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other also. Whoever takes away your coat, do not withhold your shirt from him either. Give to everyone who asks of you, and whoever takes away what is yours, do not demand it back. Treat others the same way you want them to treat you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do this same. They do that. If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. For he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Can I get a main man from all the ungrateful and evil men in the house? And when, Seriously, guys, this is how we see this. The reason we can read that, that's us. He was kind to us. He sent his son for us. He died for us. He paid the price for us. He brought the wrath of God upon Jesus for us for that purpose. We were those ungrateful and evil people. And God extended mercy. Therefore, who are we not to do the same? And guys, this isn't, again, no condemnation message. This is like, woo! thank you, Lord, for the reminder of who I am, who you are, what I've been called to, and the simplicity that we can see it laid out here in a wonderful little Sunday school story. That's the beauty of this. But again, for all of us in here right now, we're struggling with some folks. Relationships, people at work, social settings, family, all these things. Love your enemies. And let's just put it right out there. I know what Jesus is getting, and we all know. Love those that are coming against us. But who is the only one enemy we have? Satan. Let's just get it out there, Right? We don't, as followers of Christ, look at anyone upon in that way. There's one enemy. Now, others may treat us in such a way that people would think they're our enemy. And that's what Jesus is referring to. But, guys, we're only up against and at war against one entity. 
And that's Satan and all of his minions. But love your enemies, do good, lend, for your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High God. There is an action and a lifestyle that comes out of this. So how did the Samaritans show mercy? Real briefly. Very simply, as we see, I love this, how Jesus broke this down. He showed sacrificial love through his time. He was on a journey, scheduled journey, and what? He stopped the journey. He saw the value of a human life and said, you know what? My time isn't as important. And I know I'm stepping on some feet, my own included. His time was not his own. He saw value of life, and he said, that's more important. This man and his life is more valuable than my journey and my end result and where I'm going. Y'all see that? I'm not going to see it. Do y'all see that? That's very clear, and it's important for us to see that. His time was not as important as the life of this man and bringing care and compassion to him. His possessions were not as important. He sacrificed those, the oil, the wine. We don't even know what he used for bandages. Sometimes if they had robes, you know, they probably ripped some things. To, we don't know what he used. But whatever it is, it was his. He owned them. Oil and wine had value. It was important to them for various reasons, so he used those possessions. And then we obviously, when he got to the end, he pulled out two denarii. For those that study denarii, two denarii are like two days wages of work. One denarii, one day wage. Two de- so this man gave this innkeeper two days worth of work of what he would have been paid or someone would have been paid to take care of this man. That's important. That's amazing. What a heart of giving. And obviously, in the midst of this, that we all think, it's not clear leader, but I think he, a part of it was he had to be thinking to risk his own life. Seeing this man here, who would have thought the possibility the robbers could have what? Still been where? Hiding out. We beat this dude. We strip him down. People may walk by. They may what? Stop to help. And what a great opportunity for what? Round two. So who's to say at that moment that he understood and may have thought? I would have thought that. I mean, it's just everyday logic. I'm going to help this dude. They will be hanging around. My life may still be in danger. But what? He didn't take that into account. He saw the life of this man as being more important. And then what I love at the end, as he talked to the innkeeper, and even that, did you guys catch the little part in there? He said he took him to the inn, and he what? Took care of him. But then what's the next three words or four? The next day. He stayed over. He took care of this man. Saw the value of it again. Didn't just leave him with the innkeeper, throw the money down, say, I'm gone. Like, literally, here's your problem now. I'm leaving. And then express care enough to say what? When I come back from my journey, I care enough. I'm going to what? I'm going to check in on the guy. I'm going to stop in, and I'm going to, continue, and I'm going to pay and make what's right financially for what is the need. And what person just hardly ever mentioned in this that just stands out to me again? And this could be us sometimes. The innkeeper. This individual did not have to take this dude in. Now, granted, he's offered what? Money. But the dude's half dead. He's, who knows what the state he's in. But the innkeeper himself showed what? Compassion. Was a neighbor. Showed care. Showed that the, the value in the life of this man was important to allow the Samaritan to bring him in. And then it's implied when the Samaritan said, you take care of him. Is it not? The implication is there that the innkeeper is like, what? Okay. So it's implied that the innkeeper was going to care for this man and then pay pay for it when he got back. 
Even in that. And so even to think about, I was thinking about that. I was like, I had a situation this past week where I got to help somebody in the city kind of quick and spontaneous and glad to do it. It wasn't even a thought. It's like a need came up, an emergency. Okay, let's go do it. And it kind of played out some of this. And I was driving back from it thinking, thinking about this going, wow, one person was the Samaritan in this story. And honestly, I got to be like the innkeeper. It was kind of cool to see it played out because somebody else had a need. They came to me with a need and said, hey, will you join me in this? Would you join me in this task of mercy, of compassion, of showing the love of Jesus to this other human being who is in need? And we're going to show them Christ. And we prayed with them, and that's where you guys see the the beauty of this? This is what we've been called to, the importance of it. And it all ties together with everything we saw last week. As I'm back there in tears, just overwhelmed with God's glory and splendor of that giant star. Were y'all not moved, for those who are here? If that didn't do something to you, And then to make you realize it connects directly to this story, that a God can make a star that big, but we can't even put a dot on it because we're so small. He's that vast and amazing, and we get to have an intimate relationship with that God. And then in turn, he asks us to be him and to show his love to others in this way. Wow. Seriously. That shouldn't do something to us and stir something in us. And to make us realize on a daily basis what we've been called to in this amazing story and in this life. And what I loved at the end is Jesus said, which one of these three proved to be my neighbor? To prove to be the neighbor. There had to be action. One of these three men proved by his actions who is the neighbor. Who is the one that had compassion and love and mercy who represented what I desire. And again, what was the, the initial question? All this goes back to, what do you do to what? Inherit what? Eternal life. What a question and what an answer to give toward that. So to bring that to a little finality, I want to go to Matthew 25. Finish with this. To show you, again, just the importance. As we may think something so simple about how do we be a loving neighbor. Is that important to God? Oh, it's just showing compassion or kindness here and there. But, yo, guys, it's it. This is what we've been called to. So much so, Jesus, again, red letter, Matthew 25, verse 31, expresses when he returns and people of faith are going to be divided up, the goats and the sheep, look how he describes those who are going to enter into the kingdom of God. When, in verse 31, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the angels will be gathered before him. And he will separate them from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep and the goats. He will put the sheep on his right. He will put the goats on the left. And the king will say to those on his right, and God willing, I'm looking across this room. I think all of us will hear this. Praise God. Come, you who are blessed of my father. You inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And look at how he describes why. This is why you're here. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer the Lord. Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? The king will answer and say to them, truly, I say to you, to the extent that you did it for one of these brothers of mine, 
the man on the Jerusalem road, even the least of them, you did it to me. Now look at the contrast here, guys. This should shake us. Then he will say to those who are on the left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they themselves also will answer, Lord, when do we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Guys, to hear his expressing that display of life at that moment and the significance of entering into the kingdom should shake us a bit. That this is what is expected of us. He didn't just say those coming in who had faith and believed or had the knowledge of me. That's important. That has to be there. Faith is faith allows these verses to happen. Proper faith, proper love, proper viewpoint of God. There's an outflow of that. But Jesus went straight to the dude, straight to the reflection and the manifestation of my glory and my love with these acts of kindness, with these acts of compassion, with these acts of being other-centered. That is showing what's going to differentiate who's on the left and who's on the right. Do this, as Jesus said, and you will So again, to encourage you today, love God, as the lawyer said. He answered correctly. Love him with everything you are, your full being. That's why when they say heart, mind, soul, and strength, that's everything. It's your full essence. It's to be submitted to the glory of God and to love God with all of it. And out of that, there will be an outflow. And what my desire for us and this church and me and my family is to be a spirit-led neighbor. Amen? That we are called to be that type of a person. And as the scripture in Jesus makes overwhelmingly clear throughout, who is our neighbor? Everyone. (laughs) Amen? Everyone is our neighbor, regardless of race, culture, creed, religion. No matter. Everybody on the planet is our neighbor as a follower of Jesus Christ. That's who we look to is that way. And this is what should be expected of us to be that type of a loving neighbor. That guys will give us, God will give us eyes to see and ears to hear how to do that. As the worship team comes forward, as a part of my prayer, I ask everybody to stand. I want to just pray this psalm over you, a portion of this psalm. As we're about to go. And just as you're sitting there with eyes closed, I just want you to recognize and meditate as I read this on who God is. In his, in his nature, in his essence in his power, and his glory. And then as we do that, understanding what he came to do for us, what he did for us, what he offers us in himself. And then in turn, that that is to take root and transformation in us. And then in turn, that is to go out to a world that is so in need of him. And guys, recognize as you're sitting there, as we worship this last song, as I pray this over you, every single day we pass by a man in some form or circumstance like the guy in the road. There may be emotional pain, physical pain. People are beaten and hurt. The enemy is at work every day. Just like we said, God is at work. The enemy is too. He never stops. It's 24-7.
saints. He never stops trying to kill, to steal, and to destroy us and those around us. And every day I pray for us that we have eyes to see as the Samaritan walks by and we look down and say, God, lead me accordingly to give us the eyes to do that. So if you have your head closed, eyes closed and bowed head, just focus on these words as I just pray this over you in a psalm from Psalm 145. David declared, I will extol you, my God, O King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and highly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wonderful works, I will meditate. Men will speak of the power of your awesome acts, and I will tell of your greatness. They shall eagerly utter the memory of your abundant goodness and shall shout joyfully of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and he is merciful. He is slow to anger and great in loving kindness. The Lord is good to all and his mercies are over all his works. God, I thank you for this declaration of praise and glory to who you are. God, I pray as we just heard that you are a God of mercy, that you are slow to anger, you are abounding in loving kindness. God, that we, as we have embraced and received and are walking in the power of your glory, I pray, God, that that would take deep root in us so that in turn, what we just declared would become our lifestyle as we see others. As we're walking along our everyday life of road from event to event and school to school and social thing to social thing and relationship to relationship, that as we go, we will be a spirit-led neighbor. That you would give us your eyes, your discernment, your heart of compassion for people, which is everyone. And the key to all of this, God, is just being led by your spirit, knowing who you are, having the ears to hear and the eyes to see where you're at work. God, thank you for calling us to this. Thank you for calling us to this privilege of being able to walk along and love our enemies and do good to them and pray for them to show the love and compassion of Jesus Christ. For those that are in here that may not know that love or you're seeking that love, I pray right now in Jesus' name, please come. Jesus is saying, come to me today. I want you to experience this, that love, that compassion, that care. Just as the Samaritan Work on the wounds of that man. Jesus went to the cross to pay for your wounds, to pay for your life, for everything for you. He took it all. So if you're seeking, if you have questions, I'm going to be down up front as we're singing this song. Please come forward if you want to be prayed with. And if you have any questions and you want to meet this amazing Savior and Lord named Jesus. So God, if we worship you now, work on our hearts. Wherever we are, the altar is open. You need to come do business with God for whatever reason. Maybe you haven't been a spirit-led neighbor. Maybe you've been the priest. Maybe you've been the Levite. Maybe you've walked by folks or situations where you're like, Lord, I've just been thinking about me. Work on me today, Lord. I see the truth of this. See what you called us to. God is good. No condemnation in Jesus' name. He loves you. He's calling for you. His mercies are new. Praise you.